And I want to welcome those who are particularly worshiping with us online, virtually the, the most bulk of members of the church and people who also join us from time to time, sometime after the service, watch our services, and you are hearing my voice, I want you to know that you are valued, you are being prayed for. We pray for you every week, and I pray for you quite a lot. I know that God will continue to answer your prayers, and I know that God will continue to touch you at the point of your need every time, in the mighty name of Jesus. And so we want to appreciate God, and thank you to the ministers in the house for being here today to conduct the service. I believe we have just a few more weeks to go, very, very few. I am trusting God that by Easter time, we will be here, everyone physically present. Let's give the Lord a big hand. <laughs> Hallelujah. I speak that by faith because I want to believe God that we will be able to do that. Uh, but whichever way, we are grateful to God for the privilege he's given to us. And uh, we are starting a brand new series today. I'm so excited about this series um, something God gave me, a word God gave me around about July last year. It was just after my birthday. The Lord laid this particular series on my heart for a time this year. And when he does that, I just sort of write it down. And then towards the end of the year, I listen some more and see how it fits with what we've been doing. And then he gives me the blueprint of how we will sequence it. And this is uh, a series called Enjoying Fruitfulness Overflow. Enjoying Fruitfulness Overflow. We're talking about God helping us to be a people who would enjoy supernatural overflow in this season, this year. But you see, there, there, there is an aspect of fruitfulness that we need to understand, that we can also enjoy the overflow of it. And when God gave this, when Jesus spoke the parable that we'll be reading for the next four weeks, uh, he, he spoke something that was very important about the place of the heart of man. And this banner that we have, as you can see there, I was trying to look for a picture that could show a bit of green and a bit of brown, just to show what barrenness can look like and at the same time what fruitfulness can look like. So you can see some aspects of green on a good patched land and uh, the aspect of brown which shows that there is a bit of either dryness or the ground's not working right or the crops are, whatever it is, that is not typical, is not representing what is uh, on the other side. And this is exactly how our lives are. We need to continuously, continuously check where we are losing the green, where we are losing the capacity to bear fruit. Then we must understand that we need to till it and work it. The truth is that the, there is a potential. The grounds are so close to each other, as you can see in the picture behind, in the background. The grounds are so close to each other that the potential for that place to, that's looking brownish and dry to be green is also there. It just needs a bit of rework. It needs certain things to be done. And this is what I want us to keep in mind as we go through this series. So we must understand that the heart of man is made by God to be the place where he is able to sow the word, his word that helps us to grow and bear fruit. The Bible says, be fruitful. That was the first commandment he gave to man. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful. We always think of that fruitfulness in terms of, you know, having children and having uh, 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 offspring, which is true, but it also talks about be productive, be creative. It also means be, uh, be achieving, be attaining, be increasing. Fruitfulness is all about a replication of something that has seed, that has a potential to have fruits and have seeds. That is what fruitfulness is all about. 
So be transgenerational in your, in your blessing, in your prosperity. Be transgenerational in your, in your mannerism and characteristics. I have things I saw from my grandfather that, that I, I learned from before he went to be with the Lord. And today they are, they are working in me and for me. I have things that I have, I've learned from my father. And today they are working in me and through me. So there are, fruitfulness is such a complete package. It doesn't end with you. Every time you hear fruitfulness, it means something that comes out of you that has a potential to carry seed that can go into somebody else and come out of them as well. So fruitfulness is very important. So we're talking about this fruitfulness overflow in this series. Hallelujah. It's so important that we understand the place of the heart. And this is why Jesus gave that parable. And uh, in the writer of Proverbs said in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Out of it spring the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. We must understand that every one of us has a responsibility. He didn't say, I will keep your heart for you. God is the one who gives us a new heart, but we have a responsibility to keep that new heart. Yes, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. God has given them a new heart. But that person has a responsibility to keep their heart with all diligence. It means consistently watching. Look at the fruit coming out of it. And what you don't like, like a great servant of God said, you don't watch. You uproot it and till the ground and make it work. And then the kingdom of God is likened to growing seed. Every time the Bible talks about the seed as the word of God, we know right from Genesis when he said the seed of the woman will bruise your heel. That will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We know that he was talking about Jesus Christ, the word of God. And so every one of us must understand that when Jesus came and said, the seed is the word, he's just saying, the seed is me. The seed is me. Okay? In that parable we read. But in Mark chapter 4, if we go on to verse 26, he said something there. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. And should sleep by night, verse 27, and rise by day, and the seed should sprout. The Christ-likeness, the power of the seed, the power of productivity, the power of resurrection, the power of light, everything that the word of God is should rise and sprout and grow. Even though that person doesn't know how it is, that person himself doesn't know. He just knows that when he allows the seed to be sown, there is a growth of those things. Verse 28, he said, for the earth, for the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, and the full grain in the head. We can have a whole series on that. And maybe when God inspires, we will do that. Just that Mark 4.28 is a whole series in itself. First, the blade, then the head, and after, the full grain in the head. Verse 29, he said, but when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So the seed is not about the seed itself. The seed is about the harvest. The seed is about what is producing. That is why he said, by their fruits, you shall know them. 
not by their seeds. Many believers are declaring their seeds. I'm born again. I am set free. I am whole. And that is good. They confess the seed. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am holy as he's holy. I am healed. I am saved. I'm sanctified. <laughs> I'm giving you Christianese now. <laughs> those Christian languages, we speak them. But those are the seeds. Those are the seeds, which is good to speak. But what enables your world to change and to have an impact of, from your life and for you to enjoy life truly is fruitfulness. By their fruits, you shall know them. So in our text for this series, and we're going to do something very unique this, this month. God laid it on my heart. We're going to have one scripture reading for the four sessions. We will read Mark 4, 1 to 20 every week till the end of, this, of the series. We've never done that, but that's what I'm commanded that we should do. Just for emphasis, Jesus talked about that parable. And he said, if you don't understand this parable, this parable I don't know what you will understand. Because everything is tied to this parable. I want to read a few verses as it relates to the title for today. The title for today is Destroying the Wayside Heart. Destroying the Wayside Heart. The whole series is Enjoying Fruitfulness Overflow, but today it's about destroying the wayside heart. It is important for us to understand, as we read earlier on in the service, Pastor Cephas led us in reading the Bible reading, Mark 4, 1 to 20, and we saw Jesus talk about four different types of hearts. It talks about the wayside heart, which is the wayside ground. It talked about the stony ground, the thorny ground, and then the good ground, like we have seen in our banner. And um, uh, every week you will see the leaf that was highlighting our banner this week, showing our theme this week, the wayside heart, move to the next one we are doing on a week to week. I forgot to explain that when we looked at the picture. Destroying the wayside heart. The three must be destroyed. Whether it's the wayside, the first three we're going to be looking at, they must be destroyed. The wayside, the stony heart, and the thorny heart. We must seek to destroy them and then cultivate the good heart. Now, what I want to clarify before we go on is that no human being, no human being on this planet does not have to consistently destroy these three hearts till we see Jesus. No human being. Don't say, ah, pastor, I've been born again for 10 years. I have a good heart. <laughs> that is the beginning. That's a stony heart right there. That kind of statement is typical. That means it's a stony heart right there. It's not good at all. Any heart that talks like that is not a good heart. <laughs> we must understand this. It's not a criticism. It's just for us. That's why I use that banner that shows that, yes, you can see green, and then suddenly there's brown, which means that there is a potential. You and I have a potential to slip in and out of wayside heart, thorny heart, stony heart, as we follow what Jesus said causes those things. And until we come to the place whereby our hearts are 100%. Now, there, that means for us to be seeing any fruit whatsoever, that means that there is an element of good in us. That is why we are born again. So there is the good heart, but we must understand, like a farmer will walk around his farm on a consistent basis, making sure that there are no thorns, thistles, weeds, and getting rid of them and tilling areas that are refusing to produce well. That is how we must keep working on our hearts to make sure that we are allowing the sanctification power of the word of God to work in it. So I'll read a few verses again to emphasize the wayside heart. Mark chapter 4 verse 1. And again he began to teach by the sea. 
and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Verse 2. Verse 4, verse um, 2, sorry. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, verse 3, listen, listen, pay attention, pay attention. Behold, a sower went out to sow, verse 4, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds of the air came and devoured it. This is our emphasis for today. As he sowed, some seed, some aspect of the word, some aspect of what should enable some type of fruitfulness, some things that could be life-changing, that are declared by the word did not fall on good ground, but they fell by the wayside. Now, this is a very painful one because it means that the good ground is there, clearly. But there is also a wayside that is not used for planting. It's a hard place. It's a place where you use for passage so that you can, you can put your harvester or, or walk through so that when you are harvesting and taking care of the ground. So it is the wayside. It's not a place meant for planting. And that is why any seed that falls on it in a typical farm, birds can spot them from the air and pick them up very easily. He said, it happened as he sowed that some fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Skip to verse 13 to see what Jesus said about this particular heart. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Let's all read verse 14 together loud and clear. Wherever you are, let's read verse 14. The sower sows the word. Let's take it again. The sower sows the word. Now let's read verse 15 together as you can see it on the screen. Verse 15. Let's go together. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So they hear. They hear. It's not that they don't hear. It's not that they don't have access to it. He said, but these ones that fall by the wayside, I'm illustrating to you that the problem is that they hear, but the biggest issue that they have is that when they hear, Satan comes immediately to take away the word that was sown in their hearts because it was sown in a place where there is no opportunity to be protected. The earth itself covers seed and protects seed from the attacks of the birds of the air and creates the enabling environment around seed. This is the natural seed now. Creates the enabling environment, the right heat, the right moisture, the right water content. It creates seed and gives it the appropriate nutrients to allow it to grow. But when it falls by the wayside, all that support system is not there. And it is very easy for the birds of the air to take it away. And I want to emphasize today that the birds of the air represent those things that seek to rob us of the opportunity for the word to find a place in our hearts. 
they are those things that seek to rob us of the opportunity for the world to find a place in our hearts. And once we can't, the seeds cannot get to good ground, the next thing you will see is that it is impossible for it to bear fruit. Actually, it gets stolen. And many believers are, I'm sad to say, frustrated today. Not because they don't hear. The Bible says when they hear. You see that in verse 15? It says when they hear. It's not that they don't hear. They've been everywhere. They hear. And with the, with the advent of the internet now, you can hear from many sources. In, a, in, in 30 minutes, you can hear 100 messages if you want. Nowadays, just be picking sentence by sentence and just scrolling through and picking things. You can hear. You can hear. It's not difficult to hear. There is no scarcity today. The truth is that there's no scarcity. There was a time when the Bible says that the word of the Lord was scarce in the days of Samuel. There's no scarcity. And I know that there's a lot of fluke as well, no doubt. There's mixed multitude and all kinds of garbage in the air. But there is the sincere word of God on earth today more than ever before. In human history, I believe we are at the dawn of the time where the availability of the word is unrivaled. When I came to this country, I was looking for something standard to be doing our daily devotional as a family. And um, I was trying to use something that was a little bit, I had some things that we brought from home, but I always have this concept, wherever I live is home. So, because you need to be relevant where you are. So I was looking for something that was a little bit more contextualized to where we live. It's not criticism from where we come from or what we are, but I'm not living there. You don't be able to tell me about I'm robber or something. That's not my, my, my challenge now because that's, that's a challenge that solves, that, that's something that solves a challenge in that environment, sadly, but that's what it is. I need things that will help me to be contextual where I am, and that's how I believe people should live, but that's my opinion. So a friend told me, he said, oh, have you checked our daily bread that they, they have? Pamphlets that they can send, and um, they're free. You can send them money if you like, but they, they send them free. So he gave me a card. I sent it off to them. That was October 2000. And consistently from that time, we have used that template. Even when our children were being born, they were born into it, and we've been using it. Now, about four years, three, four years ago, they still produce the pamphlets, if you want, but about three, four years ago, they created the app, and it became possible for us to all have it on our phones, and we downloaded it. All of it have it on our phones, and we still use it. Then just very recently, I'm sure under about six months ago, they put an audio in the daily devotional so that even when you can't read, okay, first, they, it's, on, it's on paper. You can, you can have it in the booklet. You carry it about. And then later on, it's now on your phone and tablet, so you can have it anywhere you go. Now, even if you can't read, you can just put it by the side of your bed and, and press play, and it will read you this. <laughs> so now, please tell me, which excuse will we give that we did not have access to the word in this generation? Which excuse? I've never seen a time where it is so easy. It is so easy to have the word of God around you every time. So why is it not producing the way we should expect, commensurate with that availability. Because many times, the word is hard, but it's on a wayside heart. It's on a wayside ground, or any of the other two that we will talk about in weeks to come. But I want to emphasize two things today 
that I believe are those birds that, this, that Satan uses to uh, steal the word from our heart. The first thing, believe it or not, is unbelief. Unbelief. Somebody say unbelief. Unbelief. I define unbelief as I was thinking about this. I gave a definition to unbelief. That I want you to note very well. Because we, I want us to discuss it as much as possible in the week. As the rejection, the outright rejection of truth. Or our loss of the grasp of it. I'll say it again. The outright rejection of truth. Truth with a capital T. The word of God. Unbelief is the outright rejection of truth. Or our loss of the grasp of it. So whether truth is rejected. that We, we will say somebody is an unbeliever when they reject the gift of Jesus Christ. That's a rejection. Outright rejection of truth. So that is why such people are called unbelievers. But the most important one that believers should know is that there can also be unbelief when we have a loss of the grasp of that truth. If you lose what you have in the truth that is in the word of God, there is a potential to walk in unbelief. So, when the Bible talks about unbelievers, we must be very careful. Let us never think it's talking about only those who are outrightly rejecting the truth is also talking about those who consistently, conscientiously let go of the grasp of the truth that they have once received. And I'm going to use some scriptures to explain that. Right from the book of Genesis, we saw in the Garden of Eden, the first act of unbelief was demonstrated In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said? Has God truthfully said? Has God really, in fact, some translations say, did God really say? And I'm making this emphasis because I don't want us to rush over this. Because nobody is free from it. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? You know the rest of the story, so I'm not going into it. But I want you to look at this very well. How many times... Don't raise your hand. Don't indicate anyhow, but answer this in your heart. How many times have you doubted what God has said because of your present experience? Be honest with yourself. We all come to it and you hear that voice that says, has God really said it is possible that by his stripes you are healed? Has God really said you shall be the head and not the tail? Has God really said? Has God really said you can be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect? Has God really said? 
Has God really said he will supply all your needs or is those things that your, your job and your business can actually do for you that he means? Has God really said? Has God really said when, you, when your child is seemingly going off course and you don't understand what's happening and there's a stress in the relationship and everything, do, do you, you hear, has God really said, I and the sons and daughters that God has given to me were for signs and for wonders? Has God really said? Every one of us must understand that the greatest cause of the loss of the grasp of the truth is doubting what God has said in the dark. When we, what God has said to us in the light when we are in the dark. Great servant of God, Carmen, I can't pronounce his surname. I tried for many years. I didn't bother to, to know it, so I keep calling him Carmen, Carmen. Carmen the singer, he left us to be with the Lord about 10, two, two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, I think. He was one of my favorite gospel singers in, in, my, in my 20s. I listened to all his songs. One of the phrases I, I learned from him as far back as 1993 was, never let go in the dark what God said to you in the light. Never allow anything because you will go through dark. You will go through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't fear evil in there. Don't let go of the fact that God says you will go through it. Never let go. This happened to John the Baptist. And personally, I believe that this is why God called him home. We thought it was Herod that decapitated the, 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 the what do you call, what do you call, beheaded. That's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. We thought it was uh, John the Baptist that beheaded him. No, Herod that beheaded John the Baptist. The truth is, if, if God had allowed John the Baptist to go on the way his heart was turning, it would have been something else. God loved him so much, I believe. That man thought he did him evil, but I believe he did him a good service by allowing God to call him home quick. Quick. Look at this man. John chapter 1. The first lips to declare in the light, under revelation, in power, in the baptism place where the spirit of God is hovering and moving. And so much so that even it came on Jesus Christ in the form of a dove. There was no place as empowered with revelation like the place where John the Baptist was conducting baptism and Jesus appeared. John chapter 1 verse 29. The Bible says the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who could be clearer? Telling everybody else. The first lips to declare the Lamb of God that takes away. Not even Joseph, not even Mary said this about Jesus Christ. The very first person to say it was John the Baptist. Behold him, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And verse 30, to, be, to, to emphasize that he knew what he was saying. Look at verse 30. He said, this is he of whom I said. I had talked about him before. I'm not guessing. I'm sure. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. Amen. You can't beat that revelation. Why am I dramatizing this? What, what you hear and produces that excitement in you when you are in the light and in, in everything is just smooth and is good. 
is good, but never let go of it. When you are in the prison of life, never allow the enemy to make you forget. How do I know this? Go straight to Luke chapter 7. This is a man who said all this. In verse 31, we won't read that, but in verse 31, he said, in fact, he must increase, I must decrease, he must increase. He was so convinced about Jesus Christ. But look at Luke chapter 7. This was the time they now caught him and put him in prison. And Herodias wanted his head on a platter. Remember that story? Let's read verse 18 together. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. Now, John was in prison at that time. And Jesus was already manifesting, just like John had prophesied that he would be greater than him. Jesus was doing miracles and doing all kinds of things. And then the disciples told John what it was. Now, John is in prison now. And verse 19, let's read verse 19 together. One of the most pathetic statements I've ever seen said by a man who had so much revelation in scripture. Let's read it together. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Even to read it is a bit difficult. (laughs) Are you John the Baptist? John who said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes the sins, that takes away the sins of the world. Before me, he, ha- he was, and he's the one whom I have spoken, that after me, he will come. He said, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Because he was in prison. Because he could not see why he should be in a confined space. If he has done everything he needed to do, he has announced his coming, and now he has come. He's doing those things. Why should he be in prison? Why should he be in prison? How many of us ask those kind of questions? I was tempted in the late 80s to ask God questions. When my, my late elder brother started having a lot of mental health issues, and I, we didn't know much about those things then, this is over 30 years ago now. So, you know, the world was still in the dark place. I'm also we're back in Africa. My tender heart, I was late, my late teen, teenager at that time. I was almost going to ask God. I said, these people, my parents served you all these years. And they brought us up in the way of the Lord. We were never taught evil. They taught us not to do evil. They did things to us. And I was almost going to be saying those words. They were in my heart as questions. But I thank God I never rebelled against him. But I was not, I just could not understand why can this kind of thing happen to such a good man. And believe me, my brother is, was one of the peop- most pleasant souls. Most pleasant souls. I used to say if I have half of his patience, my life would have gone very far. <laughs> very patient man. Very patient man. He doesn't know how to scold. He didn't know how to scold anybody harshly because my sister, she's very different. She was very, very troublesome. She can be hearing me, but God, God will help me. <laughs> she was very, very troublesome when we were young. My brother was four years older than her and eight years older than me. There was four, four years gap. No matter what we did, my brother, he would look at me. If I did something wrong, he would say, David, I have told you don't behave like that. <laughs> Is that how you... <laughs> Is that how you scold somebody? Say, I'm very angry with you. That is, that is all his anger. <laughs> I'm very angry with you. When you say gentleman, that was him. 
So my mind could not comprehend it. This guy would always go after making good things for everybody. I'm saying this because, you see, you may be going through something today and you are asking a lot of questions like John the Baptist. You are not asking if Jesus is the one, but you are asking those kind of questions that are showing that you are confused and there is doubt in your heart. There is unbelief setting in. It is a wayside heart that will not allow the true power of the word of God to manifest in your life. You need to deal with it. And I pray God grants you grace to deal with it in the name of Jesus. I want to thank God I came out of that experience and God showed me that he is sovereign. He knows all things. And as long as we put our trust in him, we can never go wrong. We have to disempower unbelief, the unbelief bird, by believing completely and be resolute. Make up your mind that no matter what you see, life is full of challenges. Life is full of challenges. I have found in ministry, in, in working in ministry and being in church life all my life, but particularly serving in ministry in the last, last seven years, that is full of challenges. You come across challenges of various kinds every time in your personal life, in the lives of your fellow brothers and sisters, in the things that you are doing, in the mission work, many, many times. It's full of challenges. But never allow yourself to come to the point where your unbelief becomes so verbal. Because what that does is that it starts to create not just a wayside heart, it starts to corrupt the good heart that you have. And I believe that that's why God allowed the beheading of John the Baptist to proceed. This is my belief. This is my understanding. But I, I want you to know that like a man in, in the book of John, chapter 11, whose son was very... Um, or let, let, let me use this example instead. When Jesus went to... When Jesus was by the tombstone of Lazarus, sorry... In John chapter 11, Lazarus had died, verse 38. Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it, verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. Take away the stone. Martha said, Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, verse 40. Let's read verse 40 together. Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Somebody say with me, the antidote to unbelief is to believe. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds funny. <laughs> there is no magic to it. <laughs> there is no, the, Jesus said, if you would believe, there's a situation of dead, deadness, there's a situation of confusion, despair, hopelessness. I'm not disputing it. But I'm telling you that because I am the resurrection and the life, if you will only believe, you will see the glory of God. So we must be resolute in believing. We must continue to hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. What was the greatest power of Abraham and the, the enabling of his relationship with God? Because he made mistakes? No. When Paul was going to talk about Abraham's faith in Romans chapter 4, he said he staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief. 
That is a person God will call his friend. He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief. Many believers today are unbelieving believers. They believe Jesus is the son of God, so that makes them believers. But every other thing that Jesus came to do, they are struggling to believe. That's why I call them unbelieving believers. <laughs> I don't know whether English people will say I'm correct or not. But that's the truth. If only you believe, the same way you believe I am the son of God. Martha said, I know that you are the Messiah that is coming. I'm not asking about Messiah. I said, do you believe about this one that I'm talking about now? So you can say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. You died for me. You, I believe you rose again on the third day and recite those things. But the true test of what you believe comes not in the light. It comes in the dark times of life. I don't prophesy evil to people because that is not our duty. But I tell you from the word of God that Jesus said in this world we will have tribulation. Any preacher that says contrary is a liar and nothing but a liar sent from the pit of hell. These were the words of Jesus Christ. So when we have this Christianity whereby we are believers when it's all good and we are unbelievers when it is not... <laughs> We don't understand. <laughs> Brother, why are you not enjoying? Ah, life is tough, man. It's been very tough. Ah, that is the reason. <laughs> that is the time you should be. <laughs> if you are truly a believer, and you know that Jesus Christ is the, is the one that works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure, and is the one that also gives you all the things that you need for life and godliness, then those very difficult times are the times you will press into doing the right things. May God deliver us from the wayside heart that manifests and the birds that steal the seeds through unbelief in the name of Jesus. We must keep praying like the father of the epileptic child. This is the one I wanted to talk about earlier. We must keep praying like the father of the epileptic child. Mark chapter 9 from verse 23. Jesus said to him, if you can believe. You see that again? If you can believe, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Raise your right hand wherever you are. Say, Lord, from today, help me to believe so that all things will be possible to me as I keep believing. I refuse every unbelief in the name of Jesus. Then let's pray like the man talked in verse 24. Let's read verse 24 together. Let's read verse 24 together and pray for yourself like that as well. Everybody want to go. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord I believe. Help my unbelief. Say to the Lord right now. Say Lord I will keep believing but Lord help my unbelief. The man was not crazy. What he was saying is what we should always be saying. The Bible says to him that thinks he stands, let him take heed, lest he falls. There are some kind of problems that when they come, some kind of challenges when they come, they hit you so hard, you would have reached the ground first before, <laughs> before, before you gather your thoughts and say, ah, what is happening? <laughs> this life, some things will hit you like that, rapid firing. The devil, if you give him, 
You open the door, small, he rushes in with all the demons and everything. <laughs> he is a very useless devil. He always wants to scatter, steal, kill, destroy. So he will just come in like a flood like that. So before you even remember scripture that says when the enemy comes in like a flood, you, you will first be down. Let, let me tell you the truth. You will be down. Because the Bible says even though the righteous word falls. So why do we want to make it holy? Whether you are pastor or you are... <laughs> why do we want to pretend holier than now? You will hit the ground, my friend. But <laughs> the promise is that you will not die there. <laughs> that is the assurance. So gather your thoughts, gather your strength again. And remember, he said, even though you fall seven times, you will rise again. Then you begin to recite those scriptures. and say, Lord, I believe, help my own belief. I'm finding it difficult. That's what the man is saying. That this epileptic child, we have given him to your disciples. They could do nothing about it. We have taken him everywhere. If, if you can do anything, please help us. That's what led to that conversation. And then he said, do you believe I can do this? He said, so he said, if you can believe, all things are possible. And then he said, ah, I believe. Lord, help my unbelief. It is pride not to pray that God should be helping our unbelief. Because if you handle a level of challenge today, if it comes tomorrow, you will have faith to face it. I can tell you that because that's what life does. You've seen it before. It's not an issue. It's not an issue. But if you see the one that has no address, no, no, you've never seen it before, you don't know what it's like, you need God to help your unbelief in that time. And I pray God will keep helping you. In the name of Jesus. But sadly, if you don't come to that place where you rely on God, the devil comes in very quickly and says, has God really said? Can't you see that this is way beyond you? Can't you see that it's not talking about people like you? Can't you see that it's not about you? Can't you see that this, you cannot have this? And then he reminds you, A, B, C. Your father had this. Your grandfather had this. Your grandmother had that. Your great cousin had that. And you will tie the story together. And you know, the devil is very good at one thing. He's a very bad devil. But somehow, he knows how to connect some kind of useless things together like that. <laughs> and just give you a motion picture. <laughs> In two minutes, you will see a, a film. <laughs> two minutes, you will see a very short clip of why something may not work. He will remind you this, that, 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 and tell you, you see, you are not qualified. That is the point where you have to break out and say, I believe, I believe my God is able. I believe that my Redeemer lives. I believe that my God is greater. I believe that greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. You don't let him steal the word. Don't let him steal the word from your heart. His intention is to steal what you already know so that you start asking questions in that prison like John the Baptist. May God continue to deliver us all in the name of Jesus. Number two, very close to unbelief is fear. Fear. Fear is another bird that the enemy uses to steal the word in our hearts. Fear is factual evidences that are appearing real. People say they are false evidences. I don't, I don't use that definition anymore. I've used it before too. Then I found that some evidences are not false at all. When your head is pounding, pa, poo, pa, pa, that's not false. <laughs> Or your back is aching, seriously. If that is not false. That is factual. <laughs> so let's not deceive. <laughs> her. 
Some believers will not like me because I'm not sounding holy the way they like to sound. <laughs> but you know something? If you want God to deliver you, accept the fallibility of man. Accept our limitations. Accept the things that we must consistently know we need God to help us. One of the problems why we are falling more than ever before as a generation and are struggling to serve God is that we have relegated to the side the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. And we are running on empty. Because these days you have devices. Preachers don't pray hard anymore. You have devices. You can search things and go quickly and slap one or two things together <laughs> and say, Brethren, praise the Lord. The word is fresh. It's not fresh. It's not fresh. And God sees you. It's not fresh. <laughs> copying and pasting from here and there. <laughs> then when the thing is not flowing, you say, let's now manifest the spirit of God. No. <laughs> God is watching all those things. God is watching all those things. We need the Holy Spirit every time. He has given us power, but without him, we can do nothing. That's what he said. Factual evidences. I want you to know that there are things you will see. A medical report is not false. If they tell you that you tested like this and it is a condition that is terminal or could be terminal or some kind of effect, that is not false. That is not false. That is a fact. That is a fact. I'm choosing my words carefully. They tell you that this is your child from all indications is this and that and has, has, has going to be special needs of some sort and this and that. From the statistics and research and all the evidences they have, that is a fact. Before you say, I reject it, reject it on the order of accepting the fact so that the truth can prevail. Don't say, not my child. It's not happening. It's a fact. Confront it. Confront the fact. Confront the fact. The Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. When the devil presents the fact, what he wants you to do is to fear. He wants you to be afraid. And what you must do at that time is to bring out the truth to confront him. The fact, you are a child. And you have no experience. But this Goliath has been a warrior from his youth. Is that not a fact? <laughs> you see where I'm coming from? It's a fact. If David gave that phrase the long enough thought pattern, he will be afraid. Why? That is what was making all of them afraid. All the Eliabs, all the shaman, I always told you that shaman is the one I don't understand. Shaman means God is present with me. <laughs> and he too was hiding from Goliath. <laughs> I see that, and that guy always beats me. Anyway, let's put his story aside. All those guys were there, including King Saul. King Saul was a warrior, a tall warrior, tallest man in Israel. He saw a taller man. <laughs> he, too, <laughs> he too got confused. <laughs> so it's not by power nor by might. Fact. This man 
is a warrior from his youth. You are only a youth, only killing, uh, taking care of sheep. David brought out truth. He said, the God, he didn't say because I killed the lion and I killed the bear. He said, the God who helped me to kill a lion and kill a bear, that is the truth. He said, he will help me against this uncircumcised Philistine. What is your testimony? What is your testimony? I like that song, bro. God's power sang for us sometime, but this is my testimony from death to life. I never forgot. Every time I sing it, I remember you. <laughs> this is my testimony. <laughs> Hallelujah. It is my testimony. What is your testimony? What is your testimony? <clears throat> Peter, my friend, was walking on water. Remember him? Matthew 14. He said, if it is you, Lord, bid me to come. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on water towards Jesus. We're reading Matthew 14, verse 29. Walked down from water, thank you. And he come down out of the boat. He walked on water to go to Jesus. Somebody say, he walked on water. This is very important. He walked on water. Verse 30 says, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, Somebody say, fact. When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he accepted that fact, and then he became afraid. I'm paraphrasing it, but you can see what I'm reading. The wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And the consequence of fear was that he began to sink. This is why those factual evidences Yes, we acknowledge them, but we must not give them place. Ephesians 4.29, Paul said, give him no place. Give Satan no place. As soon as you accept it, as you've seen it, you see it's a reality, you confront him. And that is why, just like that man that said, help my own belief, as he began to sink, he said, Lord, save me. And immediately, the Bible says in verse 31, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you what? Somebody say unbelief. Why did you? So unbelief comes in as well when we talk about fear. When we doubt God, there's a potential of sinking. Every exploit you will do in this life, everything that you will do that nobody has ever done before, exactly the same way you are going to do it, is a walk on water. It is a type of a walk on water. Many people have given up on their dreams and their visions, their businesses, their ministries today because they are looking at the wind. As long as you are walking on water and the one who says you should come is there and is walking on water with you, why are you looking at the wind? Why are you accepting the fact that the wind is boisterous when you are already walking on water? I don't know how the devil convinces people to tell them they are a failure when they are still doing what, <laughs> what God is calling them to do. You are doing it. You are doing that job. And you say, you see, you are a failure. You can't be promoted. You can't move. You can't do this. And you are doing the job. Don't accept that fact. Take faith in God. Let Jesus help you. The Bible says, and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and said to him, Oh, you of little faith. Verse 32, and when they got into the boat, what happened? The wind ceased. 
when you put your trust in God, when you put your trust in God, the whole essence of the wind was to make Peter sink and sink forever. That is why the wind became boisterous and brought fear and brought panic. His intention, the devil's intention was to sink him and sink him forever. He has sunk many ministries like that and sunk them forever. He has sunk many marriages like that and sink them forever. He has sunk many good relationships like that and sink them forever. He brings things in and boisterous and, and just want to do. But as many who call on the name of the Lord, as soon as he holds their hand, you will see that that wind will cease. Don't give up. Why are you giving up your marriage? Because you are arguing with your wife? Huh? Are you the only one arguing with your wife? <laughs> are you the only one arguing with your wife or your husband? Don't give up your marriage. You give up on your son or your, your daughter because you, 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 you don't understand each other. And then you say, I don't like this child. He's not my child. Now you know. It's now you know it's not your child. <laughs> we were not there when you were producing him or her. Don't come and be telling us now that he's not your child. He's your child. <laughs> What you need to do is to go to the Lord God Almighty and say, Lord, I need your help here. Lord, save me. Just three words. Lord, save me. I hope it's three words. Because at times you say it, then you see that it's four. <laughs> Lord, save me. Very simple. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Lord, save this marriage. Lord, save this child. Lord, save this job. Lord, save me here. Save me. Save me. There is no shame in asking for the Lord's help. Preacher man, you have been in ministry 20 years. Thank God for your life. If you need to say, Lord, save me today, say it. Say it. Lord, save me. I've missed something. Or the, the, the wind is too strong. Maybe you are not missing anything. Paul, Peter was not doing anything wrong. He just saw the wind just became strong and he became afraid. Say, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Every one of us must understand. We talk a lot about faith, but one powerful thing that God said we must always remember is that the love for God is commanded because 1 John 4.18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love. 1 John 4. 4.18. Sorry. Yeah, I've got it. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves what? Torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Many times we don't talk about love when we're talking about fear. We're always saying faith is the counter to fear. Faith is the counter to fear. But do you know something? The love of God is your greatest security. Faith can fail. Do you know that? You're afraid to acknowledge. <laughs> Faith can fail. Why did Jesus say in Luke 22 to Peter? He said, I've prayed for you that what will not fail you. That your faith, you don't know your Bible. Ah. Jesus said to Peter, he said, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail you. Go and read it, Luke 22, I think it's verse 31. That your faith will not fail. But in 1 Corinthians 13, what did Paul say? Love never fails. If you want to clap, that's the kind of places you clap. <laughs> Love never fails. Faith can fail. 
So when we say, oh, faith is the antidote to fear, we are correct. But you see, if you hold on to faith only and you don't deepen your love work with God, there is a potential that one day even faith can fail. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. Because when you love God like that, what he does is that he makes sure that that perfect love will keep casting out fear. Every time the enemy brings the wind, boisterous, he, out of that love relationship you have with him, manifests on your behalf. May God continue to help us to overcome the bird of fear in Jesus' name. So the first bird we must keep destroying is unbelief. The second one is fear. Now we're just looking at it in this context. We can look at many other things, but I would like you to remember those two for today. And as we go in the course of the week, we'll be looking into those things a little bit more. I want to conclude this today by saying that we must trust God to help us continually destroy the elements of the wayside heart. When we locate the fact that we are walking too much in unbelief or fear, we must trust God to help us to destroy them. Ezekiel 18.31 says, Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die? Why should you be consumed by fear? The Bible says fear has torment. Why should you keep allowing torment? Love God the more. Deepen your love work with God. Cast away all the transgressions in which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die? Why should I die, O house of Israel? Revelations 21, I want to close on this scripture just to remind us that these things are so important and they are eternal virtues we must have. Revelations 21, when God spoke to John, the Bible says, Now I saw in a new heaven, verse 1, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and also there was no more sea, verse 2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. That is where we are waiting to go. Verse 3, he said, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the ultimate goal of every believer, and we should be looking forward to this day. But look at what he said from verse 5. He said, then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I will make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. Verse 6. Verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Let's read verse 7 together. Everybody, verse 7. He who overcomes, go back again. He who overcomes, go back again. He who overcomes, one more time. He who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. There is an overcoming to do. There is an overcoming we must overcome. We must overcome unbelief. We must overcome fear because these are against the provisions and what God, the prophetic declarations of God for us benefiting and enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb. Verse 8, verse 8 is our last verse today. Let's quickly read that. Say, but the cowardly, 
Let's read now. But they cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Say, Lord, have mercy on us. Many people don't know that cowardice is a sin. They think it's just, oh, I don't, it's just, I'm a bit coward. Don't say that kind of nonsense. <laughs> you are not a coward, for God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Don't say, I'm just kind of cowardly towards things like, no, you are not a coward. The Bible says the cowardly, the unbelieving. When the Bible talks about unbelieving, I've told you, those who have an abject and total outright rejection of the truth or those who consistently lose a grasp of it. You've already grasped it, you've already accepted it, but from time to time and consistently you let go of it is an unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters. Many times we read those ones like abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, much more, and liars. We don't even talk about liars at times because somehow... We have graduated liars to <laughs> acceptable Christians. <laughs> where a generation who have now said there is white lie, you know there is white lie. There's, I don't know where the <laughs> white witch, white lie. <laughs> witch, idolaters. <laughs> Whether it's white or pink or black. <laughs> he said all of these kind of people shall have their part in the lake which burns. So it's much more than us just living life and living it successfully. It's about preserving our destiny, preserving our eternal life. May God continue to help us to destroy every element of the wayside heart and the manifestation of the birds that continue to make the world difficult to work for us. In the name of Jesus, I pray over your life that from today, unbelief will not be your portion. As you believe, and you are asking God consistently to help your unbelief, so shall you be strengthened in the name of Jesus. As you walk in perfect love, it shall continue to cast out fear. In the name of Jesus, the Lord will continue to work for you in Jesus' mighty name.